Please join me in taking up your Bibles and turning in them to the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Our text this morning is going to come from Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 4. For a little context, I'll begin in verse 1. If you'll follow along as I begin reading, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead, still speaks. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father God, as we do pray to you, O Lord Jesus, our Savior, oversee all that we do. May we, your children, the sheep of your hand, of your pasture, Lord, would you give us the sustenance that we need this day to grow as good sheep, to grow physically, to grow even more so spiritually, Lord God, that we might give back unto you from ourselves appropriate sacrifice. Lord, we thank you for giving your son, Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for willingly sacrificing yourself. And so in this day, let us remember, in faith, sacrifice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ronald Reagan came to Helena, Montana when I was young. I believe the year was 1979, but it might have been 78. My father wanted me to go with my brother, and we went to the airport where his plane was landing, and I remember not being too impressed with the name Ronald Reagan at the time. That really wasn't the hook that got me on board to get to the airport. It was rather that Ronald Reagan was traveling with the actor who had played Festus on the series Gunsmoke. It was one of my favorites as a child. So Festus got me to the airport. But Ronald Reagan changed my life. And his legacy lives on. Ronald Reagan is the first president that I ever voted for. Well, not in 80, but in 84. And he became my commander-in-chief in 1984. The legacy of Ronald Reagan still resounds today in our country. People look at that name and look at that man and recognize the greatness of him. The honor that he restored to the office of president, the justice that he seemed to walk with, the vision that he had for what our nation could be again still are part of his legacy. Certainly his legacy has to include his humor, or he had that sort of natural humor that could take away a difficult situation and replace it with a laugh and disarm those around him. But above all, he had a faith in what our nation could be. He had a faith in what our nation could be. He had his own vision for it. Well, Ronald Reagan is now dead. He died. You know, there's a saying that says, dead men tell no tales. But that's not true. 
dead men do tell tales, and they tell it through their legacy and the legacy of their life. This morning, we're not going to study Ronald Reagan any further, but rather we are going to go to another man by the name of Abel, and his legacy still speaks. Down through the annals and the ages of time, being one of the very first sons of that first couple, Adam and Eve, Abel, though being dead, still speaks and has something to say that is, I believe, worth hearing. So I ask you, is it worth hearing about for you as well? Would you like to hear about the testimony of Abel? Would you like to hear what he has to say? We're studying faith that pleases God. Faith that pleases God. You see, faith is directly related to salvation, but even more so to the one who provides salvation. Abel's testimony, Abel's message that speaks down through time, though he being dead, is a message for all generations to follow. It is righteousness. His message is this, righteousness is by faith alone, for that faith pleases God. Abel evidenced real faith and a faith that pleases God because he sacrificed to God alone. He sacrificed to God alone. I want to look at faith that pleases God. And this morning at this one man, Abel, whose faith that pleases God offers sacrifices unto God. Let's read it again. By faith, verse 4, Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. Let me remind you of something, that something is simple yet profound. Abel was a real man. He was a man who had the sun, the same sun that shines on your face, shown on the face of Abel. That he lived and he breathed the air of this earth. He is, if you will, the first generation of mankind that wasn't made by God directly, but procreated through his parents, Adam and Eve was the first of us in that line with his brother Cain. He did a very common thing. He kept the flocks. But he was different from his parents, not only in that he was a procreated man, but he was the first generation who had to exercise faith in an entirely different way than his parents. Adam and Eve knew God. They walked with God in the Garden of Eden. Abel did not know God that way. The sin of Adam and his wife Eve and their expulsion from the Garden of Eden put a barrier between God and man, and Abel was among the first that was required to exercise faith, the first generation to exercise faith in a God not seen, who was not walking in near fellowship with man, but was separate. Hence, the first 
to sacrifice to God. He is the first recorded to sacrifice to God. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. I want to take you back to the beginning of all things, that book that is entitled Beginnings. Beginnings in English, Genesis, it's what you're used to, but it simply means beginnings. Chapter 4 of Genesis, we learn about two new people on earth. Genesis chapter 4, follow along as I read. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Let me just pause briefly and say, what a profound thing to say. What a significant thing to say. See, she's also the first woman that ever had a child. Can you imagine? She had no one to ask what's going to happen. How is this going to go? The last she heard from God, pain's going to be part of childbearing. Travail. She's first, gals. And when it's over, she says, look, I've gotten a man from God. Let me just say, and this is just a parenthesis, that's a wonderful way to look at childbirth. And like Forrest Gump, that's all I've got to say about that. I move on. Verse 2, Genesis 4. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offerings, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Stop there. We've said we're looking at faith that pleases God, and faith that pleases God offers sacrifice unto God, and we're asking, what does this teach us? Well, I believe the first thing this teaches us, letter A in your notes, is that Abel's righteous, as Abel's sacri righteous sacrifice unto God. It was a righteous and good sacrifice to God when Genesis and Hebrews are held together. But added to that, we ask ourselves, why was it respected by God? And it was respected by God because his sacrifice was in the first place in the right place to sacrifice. A right place to sacrifice. Now, I admit this. I don't know where they sacrificed. It doesn't say it in our text anywhere but it does say that they did. And I believe an acceptable sacrifice must start in the right place. Cain and Abel seem to be in that place, a right place to sacrifice. We do know from reading the scriptures that the Old Testament doesn't always reveal to us everything that God had revealed to those who lived in the Old Testament times. Amen? Even in Hebrews, we are going to find out that Abraham knew a whole lot more about what was coming, including a city not made with hands that would come down from heaven that is never mentioned in Genesis and the entire history of beginnings for Abraham. We learn that later. So my brief first point is briefly this. It was in the right place, and there they were. Abel's righteous sacrifice under God was also a right time to sacrifice, a right time. Look at Genesis 4 again in verse 3. It begins with a time reference. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering. Verse 4, Abel also brought of the firstlings. There's a process of time, an appropriateness of time is a way we can look at this, that they brought 
these things to God. And as I said again, never before had man offered sacrifice to God. Even Adam did not do these things. They, when they had not fallen, there was no need for this type of a relation-building process to take place. But now with Cain and Abel, there is something between God and them. Their own sinfulness, their own fallenness, and there was a necessity in the process of time, in the appropriate place, and in the appropriate time, to bring an offering to God, a sacrifice. And so they brought it at the right time. And then thirdly, there's a right way to sacrifice, and I'm going to spend a little more time on the right way to sacrifice and break it into two parts. First, what Abel brought, and then how Abel brought it, this sacrifice that is acceptable to God, that God respected as opposed to Cain's. We read again, if you just keep your thumb in Genesis 4, but in Hebrews 11 we had read in verse 4 that God testified of Abel's gifts. God testified. God gave a witness, if you will, of his willingness to accept the sacrifice offered by Abel rather than Cain's. There is a sense in which there's a commendation and an acceptance, and I think the English Standard Version does a very good job of translating the Hebrew here when it says, and I quote the English Standard Version of Hebrews 11.4, where it says, God commending him, him being Abel, God commending Abel by accepting his gifts. So what Abel brought, God looked on it and testified, this is appropriate, this is acceptable by me to bring our relationship together. So first I want to look at what it is that Abel brought. We can see that it is the right offering. The right offering, what he brought. Now here's where a lot of Bible interpreters seem to get a little bit stuck in what will happen later in God giving sacrificial system unto Israel that included blood sacrifice. And then even more so, they want to go forward into the blood sacrifice of Jesus and bring it back here. I believe there's a connection, but not the one you might think. Read again in Genesis chapter 4, what was going on there in verse 2. Then she, Eve, bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain a tiller of the ground. So a lot is made that the right sacrifice that Abel brought was right, or if you will, appropriate and acceptable because it was a sacrifice of flesh and blood. It was of his flocks. But I've read this text many, many times, and I've read Hebrews many, many times, and I do not see that that's the reason. So what I want to do is shoo you away from the idea that bringing a lamb was more appropriate than bringing the fruit of the field that Cain brought. I think it's far deeper and more profound in the what category than that. And in particular, we remind ourselves again that in Hebrews 11.4, God also described this right sacrifice by Abel in this way. Abel offered a, to God a more excellent sacrifice. More excellent. Not in just the quantity idea, but rather this time in quality. A blood sacrifice is not even in the picture in Genesis 4 what was. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Stop. There it is. 
Why did Abel bring a sheep? Because that was his work. That was his job. Why did Cain bring fruit of the earth? Because that's what he did. That was his work. They brought of what they did and its produce back to God. Sometimes we can get really hung up on the thing rather than what it represents. Is it better that you brought a sheep from the work of your hands and the sweat of your brow? Or is it better that you brought of the produce of the fields? Well, some might start arguing again, well, in the Mosaic law, sin offering had to be of flesh and blood. Well, I tell you something else. A peace offering didn't need to be, nor a drink offering, nor a fellowship offering. And sometimes there were combinations of the two. So we can't bring that back here. It's not here. What is here, their occupations are stated, and from their occupation, remember they were put on earth to work, they brought it to God. That's the point. The right offering is to bring of what you have labored for that has value to you. Isn't it true that what you do, you put a value on? I think it's losing some of its flower in this uh, disassociated age that we're in, wherein people aren't valuing work like they used to, hence we can't find people to work. And we have to all admit that's part of our fault. There's a reason our kids don't know if we didn't tell them. It started in Genesis. God made Adam to work, and God made Eve to help him work. So what are you supposed to do? Work. I know it's a profound day in the pulpit. But sometimes the simplest truths are the deepest and the most necessary to repeat, like teaching children the value of labor. And that what you do starts to reflect on who you are. And if you do it well, then you are valued by others because of the excellence of your work. Abel brought a more excellent sacrifice. So when you've done it, you own it. And when you own it and you give it, it costs you something to give it. Amen? I built that. I did this. My label is on it. It matters to me, and I'm bringing it to God. And I think that's the more profound message that's being given to us here. And I want to just briefly, but not going back there unless you want to, I'm going to go to 1 Chronicles 21, and I'm just going to highlight what happened and what David has to say about bringing an offering that costs you something. The setting is this, David's an old man, and as an old man, he no longer has the warrior prowess, the physical strength that he used to have when he used to lead Israel out against the Philistines to defend the city, to defend Israel, to keep his people safe. As a matter of fact, his men have come to him years before and said, you will not go out to war anymore. You just about died the last time. You need to stay home. But now he's even older, and he is tempted. He is tempted to be sure that God will protect them, not by looking to God, but to counting the number of warriors that Israel has that can be suited up and sent to fight. He tells Abner to go do this, his war chief, his general, and Abner says, don't do it. That's presumptuous. Even the Bible says it was abhorrent to the mind of Abner. But you know what he did? David did it anyway. 
And what happened is he brought a curse upon Israel through his failure to trust God to protect them rather than the number of swords they could put in the field. And so God sends Gad the prophet to David and says, you got three choices. You've done wrong. David says, I know I've done wrong and confessed it as sin. And now he says, you have three choices from God. You pick. They're all punishments. You decide. Have your enemies come against you, etc. And the last one was this, the one that David chose, that God would send a plague. And so David chooses God. See, now he's got his head back in line. And he says, I would rather trust in the mercy of God than in my enemies or in anyone else. And so God sends a plague. Well, there's a man harvesting and on his threshing floor, Ornan and his sons see an angel of the Lord with a sword in his hand. And while the people of Israel are falling by the plague, David cries out to God. So God has mercy and stays his hand and tells the angel enough. And then asks David to sacrifice and to make this place a holy place, the threshing floor of Ornan. And Ornan wants to do this, and he tells Ornan, I want to buy this from you, and I want to sacrifice to the Lord here, and this will be a holy place. And Ornan, from his generosity, says, I will give you this. I will even give you the oxen that are plowing, and you can use them for a sacrifice. I'll give you the wood from all of the equipment that we have here to make the offering fire. And then David says this. 1 Chronicles 21, 24. Then King David said to Ornan, No. No. But I will surely buy it for the full price. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which, here it is, with that which costs me nothing. So often as humans, we think that bringing the right symbol is a, the most of what we do. Bring a sheep. God must be wanting a sheep. That's what Abel brought. Let's all bring sheep. That's not the point. It wasn't sheep versus fruit of the field or grain, whatever. It was cost. He brought of what he did. It cost him something to sacrifice a sheep to God, for he had raised it, he had brought it, and he had offered it. It cost him something, and he gave it willingly to God. So he brought the right sacrifice, and the right sacrifice is something that costs you from your craft and your work. Sometimes I wish we didn't just shell out money at church, right? But we could come and do something. Or we could bring something. When I was in ranching, I was like, it would be great to bring, you know, your prize heifer, your steer, and you could offer it to God. And all the work that went into it is offered there. Money's so kind of cold, isn't it? It is a representative of what we've done, but not as tangibly as your craft, as what you do. But nonetheless, it should cost us something. And maybe that's something we should think about when we look at the money or write the check. Is it costing me something? The right way to sacrifice is with the right offering from the work that you do. And secondly, how he brought it. He brought it with the right attitude. Not the right thing only but with the right attitude. And I think this is where Cain and Abel begin to depart in their acceptability before God. And what is the right attitude to bring the right offering? Well, it would be, of course, by faith. A more excellent sacrifice. 
Hebrews 11.4. But in Genesis 4.4, we read this again of Abel, if you've got your thumb still there. Read, Abel, also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Hebrews says a more excellent, and this would be more excellent in quality rather than quantity. His attitude, I believe, is involved here, an attitude of worshipfulness of faith. Because God said that the Lord respected or regarded Abel's offering. So what does it mean to regard or respect the offering that Abel brought? It means this. It means that when God looked at it, he looked on it with a steady gaze, with great interest, but also to make a decision. And when he looked at it as to whether or not he favored that gift or rejected it. So God seeing, as only God can see, sees past even the gift itself, weighs the cost to the man, and then, I believe, weighs the heart of the man who brought it in his divine gaze. Because it's not the offering he's accepting, it's the man. The man must bring the right offering with the right sacrifice in the right place, time, and way. But it's still a measure of the man. And a lot will be told about the quality of what he brings in the offering, whether he brings his best or whether he just brings something. And then he brings it with a heart that desires to give what costs him something unto the Lord in order to have a right relationship built between him and God. See, that's the scene. Adam and Eve fell, sinned, separate from God. All their children now tainted with that sin. And now God doesn't walk close with them anymore. You have to bring a sacrifice. To bring back relations separate by sin. So how God looks on that is the key. Let me give you a couple of examples where this Hebrew word for regard is used not of God, but of men looking on things and accepting them. But I think this will help you understand the way in which God is looking on Abel's offering. The first comes from Isaiah chapter 17. In Isaiah chapter 17, verse 7, we find this word twice, once in verse 7 and once in verse 8, and, and in contrasting ways. Note, in that day, Isaiah the prophet said, a man will look to his maker, now here it is, and his eyes will have respect for the Holy One of Israel. So there'll be a time when men will look on God, not with disrespect, not with disfavor, but with acceptance, this is the God I want. This is the true God with respect and honor and regard. Now notice the contrast, Isaiah 17, 8. He will not look at the altars, the work of his hands. He will not respect what his fingers have made, nor the wooden images, nor the incense altars. So see, even offerings given happen to be given to the right God. You can make lots of offerings of your own making, and you can even make your own God and give it an offering, and guess what? Wrong, wrong, and wrong again. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong person, wrong gift, wrong attitude. If it's not to the right person, it should be disregarded as useful rather than acceptable. Now in Psalm, a very succinct way, excuse me, uh, yes, Psalm 119, a very succinct way of saying this, verse 117. The psalmist says, hold me up, 
and I shall be safe. And now this, with our word regard and respect, he says, and I shall observe. That's the way it's translated here. And I shall respect or observe your statutes continually. See, the reason they brought the observation in is when you look at God's word, when you look at God's statutes, that he said, these things do, you would say, that's valuable to me. I accept that as God's word, and I want to honor it by doing it. The opposite of that is to find out what God wants and say, I don't want to do that. That bothers me. Why so many laws? That's to disregard God's law, and we know how that works out every single time. Amen? So to regard, so God regarded and respected the gift of Abel, but not Cain. There was an attitude there. There was a faith there that recognized he needed to give something that costs from the work of his hands, from the right heart of faith, and his faith being this, I'm out of sorts with God, and I need to do this to get right in position with God because God wants me to do this. In a sense, Abel's faith says, I'm a sinner. I am unworthy to have God as my close associate because of my sin. I'm worthy of death. I need forgiveness. I need sacrifice between me and God. And whatever he said I'm supposed to do to do that, I'm going to do. I will accept his revealed plan. I'm a sinner, worthy of death, I need forgiveness, I accept his revealed plan. That's called faith that pleases God. And part of this is an expression that I thought needed its own little heading, and so I put it there in your notes, Abel's need. Abel's need for a sacrifice to please God. Part of what God was measuring was whether or not Abel thought he needed this. You know, many men walk through life and they walk through all of the laws of men in the world and they do their different things and they have their different constructs in whatever country and world they live in. But when they run up against God, they've got to make a decision. Is what these things that God said and revealed in his word something that I value or not? Is this person something I respect or not? Do I actually need a God in my life? Is there really something broken in me that needs to be fixed or not? And the honest man looks at himself and says, yep, I'm broke. Something ain't right. Something's missing. And when from that position he acknowledges his need to God, he can come in faith and say, fix me. I'm lost. I need to be found. I need saving. And sacrificial systems was the first way in which God used to test men's hearts as to their desire for a Savior, for a sacrifice, and one that was coming. Remember I said this is associated with Christ, but far down the road by millennia upon millennia upon millennia. And when we get to the time of Hebrews, all prior sacrificial systems are now put into a singular category of obsolescence. No longer useful. So as we study Hebrews 11, let's remember Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 began this way, Hebrews 10 verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, remember it had a sacrificial system in the law, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, hear me, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. But pastor, you were saying he's got to bring the right sacrifice at the right time in the right place in the right way because it costs something. Mm-hmm. That was then. This is now. How much time 
from the fall of Adam and Eve took place until Abel's first sacrifice, I wonder. But even more so, how much time existed between Abel's sacrifice and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross? How many hundreds of years sacrifice went on until Jesus the Christ? And now, the clarity from God concerning sacrifice. Hebrews 10, now verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. What? Abel brought a more excellent sacrifice. It was, it was, it was a sheep. It was a good one. God respected it. He accepted it. What's going on in Hebrews? In Hebrews 10, verse 5 now, Therefore, when he came into this world, who is he? He is Jesus. Therefore, when Jesus came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. God never desired Cain and Abel's sacrifice. Do you realize that? That wasn't his end game. That wasn't what he was measuring. By faith, Abel brought a more excellent sacrifice. What's the key? The sacrifice or the by faith? God has never wanted your sacrifices to save you. Jesus declared that. He said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. What did God desire? Jesus said, but a body you, God, have made for me. You have prepared for me this body. He said, goes on, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins, you had no pleasure. In what does God have pleasure? In the man who comes to God with the right sacrifice by faith. And the right sacrifice is a sacrifice Jesus made. You say, but that doesn't cost us anything. Didn't it? It cost Jesus something. And as part of humankind, he had to be made a man to die for you in your place. Acceptable to God. Pleasing to God. Looked on by us in faith. Now your faith has to be, I'm not bringing anything. It's not costing me. It's not that even formal. I'm supposed to place the whole of my faith in something I didn't bring and I didn't give that God accepted on my behalf. By faith, I believe it. Yep. What has God ever wanted from man that he doesn't already have? One thing, trust. Do you trust me? You can bring all the bulls in the world and sacrifice them to God and not trust him, and it gains you nothing. You can make all the promises in the world in your Christian life, and you've made them, I know, because I've made them, and we were both wrong. Lord God, if you just save me, if you deliver me, if you accept me, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll take care, I'll pray, I'll read, I'll sacrifice, I'll do, I'll do. And God looks at you and says, boo-hoo, that isn't what I want. 
respect the offering of my son. Look on it and say, yes. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. How do you know? God told me so. That's called faith is the substance of things not seen. God's facts based on God's person. Why was Cain's unacceptable? Cain's unrighteous sacrifice to God is this. He did not bring a more excellent sacrifice. There's a comparison demanded. As soon as God said, Abel brought a more excellent sacrifice than Cain's, we have to do a comparison. God says, look, here's a whole chapter on what faith really is. Here's Abel, here's Cain. It's one verse. Maybe skip it. Maybe put it together with a bunch of other verses because there's not much in it. Or maybe ask why this is first. And why the comparison? We need to make the comparison. Cain's example is this. I'll put it simplistically for you. Lack of faith. Lack of faith displeases God. How do I know? Back in Hebrews... Look at your Bible, chapter 11. We're going to get to this in full form soon, but look at verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, him being God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible. Like I said, you can have a thousand sacrificial lambs. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I make the logical connection. Cain had faith. That's pointed out. The opposite must be Cain did not. So let's look at Cain's faith failure. Four failures I want to point out. So that we can all avoid them. First, Cain failed to believe God. Cain failed to believe God. If faith is trust and belief, then that's where Cain failed. That whatever they knew about bringing this sacrifice to God that they were both making, one had it and one didn't. And it's certain that Cain didn't, since all faith pleases God, and he didn't please God. How do I know that? Well, let's go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 4 again, now verse 6. Oh, let's just start in verse 5. Verse 5. After it says, and the Lord respected Abel's, Abel and his offering, verse 4, the contrast is here. Verse 5, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now right there, there's just a little bit of a, a window into Cain. If faith is partly recognizing you have a need to restore the relationship with God, and this is what he wants, and you're going to do what he wants by faith, because that'll do it. And obviously Cain was coming without that. Out that saying, I need a restored relationship with God. And he was also saying, I don't believe this thing we're doing. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. So he's displeasing. There's no respect there. Because Cain was angry. You know, if you're a performance-based person and you want to earn your way to God, you know what you want? Acceptance. 
But I did this for you, God, and you didn't do this. Has that ever been you or somebody you know? But I did do what he said, and then this didn't happen. And I would ask you to say, well, what was your real attitude in doing with Were you pushing God into doing something that you wanted him to do? Or were you obeying what God told you to do? You know, there's a big difference. One sounds spiritual, and the other really is. When God says, do it, do that, when you tell God to do it, guess what probably is going to happen? He won't. And then if you get angry, that shows you it's a revelation of your heart. I tried to push God into doing what I wanted him to do. He didn't do it. Now it didn't happen. And guess what? Today we can't have pastor's pancakes, and it rained, and I got the yard fixed up, and I got everything mowed, and I got all this stuff in the house, and I bought all this food, and everything's ready, and I can't get people down my road. That didn't happen to me. But I know people that it would happen to. Right? The Christian says, God's will be done. This was my plan. This was our desire. But this is where it is. That's why James tells us, we say, we will go such and such a place and buy and sell and make a profit. If what? God wills. And if he don't will, you don't go. I'm just saying, I didn't have that planned. That, there it is. That's how life works its way into sermons. Cain failed to believe God, and we believe all that God does is right. Secondly, Cain failed to acknowledge his own need for God and this sacrifice. I don't know what he brought of the produce of his field. I don't know if it was good or bad, but I wonder if he didn't pick the best. He brought it all right. But maybe he didn't think it was that important. God then speaks again to Cain, Genesis 4, 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? Oh, if you want a little blade in the heart, just, just hang on right here. Here it is. God says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. The pity party desires your attendance immediately. None of you understand what I'm talking about, but I'm hoping some of the people that listen online will get it. Just do well. And God will be pleased. What does that mean? It means what God said, do, do. And the attitude he said, bring it, bring it. Have faith and trust that what you are doing leads to God's deliverance. It is God's way. You should rule over it. How do you rule over sin? You rule over sin by saying, God said I'm not supposed to do that. I'm supposed to do this. I told you it's a profound day. And there it is. Did you miss that? How do you rule over sin? God told me to do this with the right attitude, and my attitude's not there, so I'm going to say, I repent of that, God, and here's my good attitude and my offering. Do with it as you will. I'm trusting in you. And don't go to the pity party. Just do what he said. Let him decide what happens next. For Abel, what happened next? We're going to get to that. Cain failed then thirdly to obey God. He wanted his own way. And oftentimes we want it our own way, don't we? Do it my way or the highway, God. And that's what happens when we're bargaining with him. You know, every false religion in the world is a bargaining with God, even when they've made their own God. 
I don't care if it's Christian science. I don't care if it's Hinduism. I don't care if it's Islam. I don't care if it's the Mormons and their LDS. Whichever is supposed to come first, Mormon, LDS, they can't decide, so I can't decide. I don't care if it's the Earth First movement, the Green movement. You know, worship the, the creation rather than the creator. I don't care if it's the LGBTQ plus religion and mark me, it's a religion I don't care if it's Marxism, socialism, all these things that are fake religions and their religions, don't you doubt it. They worship man and not God. They're designed in their own way to ignore God's way on purpose. And then in doing it, to say, look what I did. I saved the planet. I walked to work today. I mean, really? Okay. That spins the propeller on your beanie bonnet. I don't think it's earning much. Believers must not follow into this. We would need to observe all things that God commanded. Isn't that what the gospel is? Go you into all the world and preach the gospel unto every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then go home. Oh, did I get that wrong? No, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all things which I have what? Commanded you. He didn't do what God commanded. He didn't do it with the right attitude. And then he failed because his sacrifice was then a fake. So you can bring the right thing in your hand and have the wrong attitude, the wrong place, wrong time, wrong obedience, and it becomes a fake. You've heard of fake news? Well, it's called fake sacrifice. On the outside, it looks like news. On the outside, it looks like a sacrifice. But on the inside, it's all full of hypocrisy. It's all about you. Cain came, he offered, he was seen by God, and he was not accepted. If you do well, you will be accepted. Why are you angry? You didn't do well. Remember Proverbs 15, 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Let me bring you to my last two points. Pleasing faith receives God's testimony of righteousness. What made Abel righteous before God? What? God's testimony of that fact. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God said, righteous. Here is another simplicity in our simplistic sermon. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for what? Righteousness. That's how simple it is. Just believe God, and then he says, that's acceptable. You are right. When you believe God, you're walking in righteousness. Did you know that? That's all it takes. It isn't a mystery. But it does require that you realize you got to do what he said, the way he said, and expect what he said to happen. And what happened to Abel for all this obedience? Think about it. The good son. Oh, Christian, there's something here to be learned, is there not, on this rainy day? All you good ones, there's some good girls in this, in this congregation. I know it. Good girl when you're a little girl. Good girl when you're a middle-sized girl. Good girl when you're a married girl. Good girl when you're an old girl. A good girl. There's some good boys out here, too. Naturally, you just kind of conform. You, I'm a good boy. Look at my good boy. He always does. Yes, that's my good boy. Good boy. Look at you. As a little boy, now as a big, big boy, you're a good big boy. Hmm. And you do everything right. 
Because you might be thinking, I'll get it all. I'll be the rich one. I'll be the famous one. I'll be the successful one. I'll be the one recognized. I'll be the one with a long life. Well, let's look at Abel. He was acceptable to God. And he died for it. He died for it. He died for it. Did you, did you hear these words? Oh, I haven't read them yet. Let me read them then. Genesis chapter 4 again. Verse 8, now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. This is now a by phrase for all people. Everybody knows Cain and Abel, and everybody knows what Cain did to Abel. Have you ever met someone who didn't? If you have, tell them about it. And if you tell them about it, Abel will begin to speak again from the dead. That's what our text said. Cain killed his brother Abel. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? This isn't because God didn't know. He wanted him to confess. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. That's how you know he knew. So now you are cursed from the earth, which was, has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, you shall no longer yield, it shall no longer yield its fruit, its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And then Cain bargains with the Lord, and the Lord has some mercy. But a, the point is, Abel dies. He does all the right stuff. God accepts what he does, and he dies young. I ask you, was it worth it? Why do the right stuff if you die young for it? Isn't there a song about that? Only the good die young? I don't think that's true, by the way, but there is somewhat of a saying about it. Abel's dead and he's speaking to you today. And you can speak for Abel when you remember and teach. The first speaking of the dead Abel was through his blood. Spoke to God. God said his blood cries out. His blood cries out to me from the ground. Never think that anyone dies without God knowing. Whatever that means, it means something. Justice is coming. You realize that Abel's the first Christian martyr. He did what was right. He was accepted, and his brother killed him for it. See, Jesus isn't off the mark at all when he says, they hated me, they'll hate you. Why? Because they don't have faith. They don't believe. They know you're accepted and they hate it. Secondly, he spoke to his brother through God's judgment, cursed as the very ground. testified to Cain's evil deed all the days of his life and his rejection of God and his brother who followed God. And thirdly, Abel speaks to us today in a three-point sermon. Do you like the outline? Here it is. Man pleases God by faith alone, not by works. That's the first point of Abel's message. The second point of Abel's message is this. Man must accept and obey God's revelation above his own reason or self-will, meaning do what God says. And thirdly, sin is severely punished. 
but justice will be done. So never think that any injustice that goes unpunished in this life will not be known by God. But if you don't want his justice, you better believe on his son. Or you'll be unacceptable to God. Just believe. As it said in Hebrews 10.38, the just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, may we understand more from this small offering that you've given us in your revelation. One verse about one man who lived so long ago. May his faith be our faith. May our faith be like his faith. May your acceptance of him accept us, for we acknowledge, Lord, our need. We acknowledge we need your son, Jesus Christ, to pay a price we cannot pay for a debt we owe of sin. And we realize we will see the bounty of that more after death than before. But we trust in that and we will honor that today as we take the Lord's table together as an act of faith in your divine revelation. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people say, Amen.